If you're a guest, a special welcome to you. We're in a series called Big Objections, I Would Believe But, and you kind of fill in that blank. But I don't know if you realize that in the United States right now, about 7% of the population would say that they're either atheists or they're agnostics, meaning that they really don't care. And I think to the most part, there's probably more on East Coast and West Coast and lived on the West Coast. I think that's true. But the rest... 93% believe in some kind of higher power, believe in a God, or there's a spiritual world for them in some way. But many people within that 93% believe an idea that's pretty consistent with so many people, and it's basically this, that all religions basically teach the same thing. And that drumbeat... You understand that idea is a drumbeat from our media, from, from the entertainment world. Matter of fact, I came across a quote from George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars. I want to put that on the screen. Star Wars, by the way, has a, has a significant undertone, spiritual undertones to it. But look at what he uh, said in an interview. I remember when I was 10 years old and I asked my mother, if there is only one God, why are there so many religions? I've been pondering that question ever since, and the conclusion I've come to is that all religions are true. George Lucas, Star Wars. Now, the great theologian Madonna believes a similar thing, and I'll just quote her. I do believe that all paths lead to God. It's a shame that we end up having religious wars because so many of the messages are the same. This view, by the way, that all paths lead to God, God, is really the dominant view of young people today. In essence, they're all the same. All religions are the same. But let me begin this morning with digging into this topic with a scenario. You're at a family reunion and you're sitting around this campfire one evening and Uncle Bill starts talking about the magazine he had just purchased. And I want to put that picture on the screen here. Time magazine about Jesus. You just got this from the store and out flows from his mouth this. Those Christians, they think their way to heaven is the only way. Christians are narrow-minded, they're arrogant, and they're intolerant of other people's beliefs. How can they think theirs is the right way to God? And you turn to Uncle Bill around that fire, and you say, letter A, Uncle Bill, I believe that Jesus is the only way, and you might be ending up in a place that isn't very nice. Is that what you tell Uncle? Or B, you say nothing. Think it just doesn't matter to start a conversation at this point. Or letter C, what do you say? How do you respond? Let me add another verse to our key verses here this morning from Jude. It's only one chapter in that book. Verse 3, look at how it's written. Beloved, 
While I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. And a second key verse, we've been having this over and over again, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. See, the media, high schools, colleges, are thumping a message that if you say Jesus is the only way, You are narrow-minded, you're intolerant, and they might call you a bigot. Now, if you go away to college and take a college philosophy class, or maybe even in the social science world, they will work hard pushing you to reject a faith because it's narrow or if it's too exclusive. Parents, I don't know if you realize this, but maybe even grandparents, We need to pray for our kids, but we need to be talking to them about these issues as well. Realize Satan is feeding this stuff to every culture, matter of fact, from the beginning when sin entered the world. This really isn't new. Matter of fact, though, young adults are leaving home, they're going away to school, and there's a pressure with them. And the question is, are we preparing them to give a defense? You know, the interesting stats is that for the most part, they haven't changed in about 30 years, is that somewhere between 70 to 80% that are going to attending a church are walking away within four to five years after school. And that's been pretty consistent for about 30 years. So the challenge is, how do we contend for the faith? How are we understanding to prepare ourselves to give a defense for the reason for the hope that's within us? I think there are some temptations, though, when it comes to the church. And the first is this. Let's just hunker down and not get involved. Don't worry about saying anything. Just ignore the world. The Uncle Bills are out there. Just don't even listen to them. Don't engage them. I think that's one option. The other option, I think this. Let's just build a wall around the church and create a fort. And not engage the world with all its ideas. Let's just avoid them and hide in one sense. And, and by, yeah, I know we're supposed to do evangelism. So let's do this. Let's, let's shoot a, a bomb over the wall with a bunch of tracks, and that'll be our evangelism for the month or for the year. See, what do we do? So today, here's where we're going. What does it mean to give a defense? For this idea that we say that there's an exclusive path to God through Jesus Christ. So if you're following along in the outline, let me give you the first point here this morning. Just a reminder here. And I think that maybe this will be challenging for some of you and you're going, I'm not sure I can do this. But the first, number one, I think this is the call. We are called to be bold with the claim that Jesus is the only way and to continue to use the scriptures. Now, why do I say that? You got to understand our culture, even in Grand Rapids here. 
I, I would say it this way. Don't worry about using the Bible and actually do it. Use the scriptures as the basis of gently pushing back people's beliefs. Now, you maybe need to go back and figure out the trustworthiness of the Bible and how to respond to that. A couple weeks ago, I did that sermon. And I I think there's some places for us to be able to do that. But realize, for the most part, many people just have not looked at the Scriptures or really taken the Scriptures seriously and read them to any extensive manner. And matter of fact, I would say this when it comes to even our community here that the majority of people look at this book called the Bible and actually hold it up with some esteem. They actually believe and would say that this is God's word to some degree. But realize as well that the vast majority of people have never really taken a serious look at what other religions teach. And, I would just add one component, sometimes they don't even look at what their churches teach on this issue, which is a hard one. But when people say that all religions are alike, catch this, I think for the most part they're mimicking the talking points of some of the culture that's out there in the media and realize they just haven't studied the issue in depth. Matter of fact, many have never taken a world religions class. How many in here have taken a world religions class? 15%, 20%. Do you see the challenge to that? But understand this, I think we need to be bold. And there's a place for us to come to and to be able to push back using the scriptures. So here's where I want to go this morning. I want to talk through with us, in one sense, a big example, example here of how we can press this issue with people. So Uncle Bob, I'm talking to Uncle Bob. And what if I started off something like this? Uncle Bill, I use Bob, but I'm going to say Uncle Bill. Did you know that there were eyewitnesses to this guy named Jesus? And they kept many records of many of the things that Jesus taught. And there was a guy named Peter. And look what Peter wrote. Now, we have the advantage, folks, of having a phone and having a Bible on the phone. You literally could turn that phone to Uncle Bill and turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And look at this. Uncle Bill, look at this. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, do you know, Uncle Bill, who he's referring to as no other name? Yeah, it's Jesus. But Uncle Bill, there was another guy named Paul. Matter of fact, Paul tried to persecute Jesus. He got saved, he connected with Jesus, and he started following him, and he wrote about what Jesus claimed. Look at what he wrote, 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. One mediator. Uncle Bill, do you know what a mediator is? He's a, a person who brings people together. 
And the Bible reveals that there is the relationship between God and mankind broke because of sin. And it's saying there that Jesus is the only mediator to bring mankind and God together. But there's another follower of Jesus, that he traveled with Jesus all the time, and history records his name as John. Uncle Bill, look at this verse, 1 John chapter 5, look at 11 and 12. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Uncle Bill, do you know that that's referring to eternal life? Do you know that that's eternity? But Uncle Bill, there's something even more fascinating. See, Jesus himself, he spoke on this issue of how to get and connect to God. And Uncle Bill, would you look at these verses for me? Now, the context is that Jesus was giving this monster picnic. He was grilling fish for over 5,000 people. And look at what John told us here in in chapter 6. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me before I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about the perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Uncle Bill, the Son of Man, that's Jesus. Verse 29, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Uncle Bill, that chapter goes on, and a little bit later, I got to show you what Jesus spoke a little bit later. Look at John 6, 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Boy, do you catch that, Uncle Bill? But I got another one for you. Look what else Jesus claimed. This was after he was talking to Martha and her brother had just died. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never will ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Uncle Bill? Now, Uncle Bill, you understand, maybe getting a little nervous at this point and glassy-eyed. And maybe you finish with this, Uncle Bill, I got another verse for you, and it's kind of the icing on the cake. John 14, 6. Look at this, Uncle Bill. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, Uncle Bill, Peter believed this man was unique. Paul believed this man was special. John knew that he was the most important person in the world. And Jesus himself claims to be the only path to reach the God who created this universe. That means no Hindu, no Muslim, no Judaism, no Buddhism. 
You get the picture? In terms of pushing back a statement like that and just use the scriptures. And guys, we need to be bold using the word of God. Trust that the word of God can pull people in and actually speak to them. It doesn't have to be always you defending. Allow the scriptures to give the defense. Now, I want to show you a quote Because recognize one thing, the pushback in Jesus being the only way and who he is, is not new. Matter of fact, in the 1940s, you probably know a name um, by C.S. Lewis, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. At the time of World War II, there was a liberal theology that was taking place. And within the church, they were going this, Jesus really wasn't the Son of God. It, It It doesn't matter, even back in the 1940s. And look at what C.S. Lewis wrote. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can't shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. You see how even C.S. Lewis was pushing back at the culture, defending who Jesus was and what we know. Jesus, the apostles, the historic church and all its variations have affirmed that Jesus was the only way. And it is an exclusive path. But because we claim an exclusive path, Just remind you that it should never move us toward arrogance and boasting. Biblically, it's really the opposite. Our salvation has nothing to do with our good deeds, our efforts. We don't find God because we're smarter or more intelligent. Rather, God finds us. And as we respond to the living mercy in Christ, to respond to Christ as evidence on the cross, he's the one that initiated toward us. But the claim that Jesus is the only way is affirming that God himself has taken the initiative. God initiated it. And folks, that is different than every religion out there. The other religions, you work hard and try to seek God. Our faith that says this, God came into the world, became man, and he sought us out. That is unique in in our faith in that sense. So it's understanding it's offensive to people to say that. But even all the way back to the early church, people were taking offense to saying that Jesus was the way. I don't know if you realize it, they didn't even use the word Christians 
For a long period of time, that was much later. If, I don't know if you realize what they initially were called was the way. The way to God. See, it was exclusive back then, but they were pushing back. The Jews were offended by it, just like people today are offended when we claim it. The Roman world, they didn't want this Jesus to have any kind of control over people's lives. They wanted people to bow down to Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. But are we ready to give a defense? Are we teaching our children to give a defense that are certain of these things? And one of the nuances I discovered that some of the apologetics guys out there are saying, we need to do a much better job of understanding the culture of who we're living among. And there was a guy that framed an idea here that is just so true. And he said this. Let me put it on the screen. Our culture has moved. It wasn't like it was 40, 50 years ago. It's moved from what is true to what do I think, quote, I think, to what do I feel. It's moved from truth to what do I think to what do I feel. And the emotions are driving the day. See, and what's happened in that context is the idea of a truth, a transcendent truth, has been put on the back burner of the stove. And the front burner is ruled by, what do I feel today? And recognize that that shift has moved people to a type of emotional pluralism. Everybody has to believe the same thing. And differences are unacceptable in our culture. And it actually leads to groupthink. And parents, you got to recognize the intense pressure if they're in high school and even more so in college. And especially if you're in the social sciences in that area. So it's not just individual pressure from individuals. It's a cultural pressure rather than a quest for what is true. So where are we at? And it's, I would say it like this, if you've been listening to the media at all. Ideas actually have the possibility of offending people in the emotional realm. It makes them feel uncomfortable when you throw truth ideas at them. So here's the challenge for us. And let me kind of push us as to how we respond. Point number two, here's what needs to happen. We need to be ready and aware of the logical fallacy known as argument ad hominem. Now, what is that term? It's basically this. And and guys, don't fear this. We need to be strong, actually, in this. But it means this, that people will try to invalidate our position of exclusiveness by attacking the character of those who hold it. Therefore, you will probably be called a bigot or narrow-minded or intolerant. 
those words will be used to deny your truth claim, the truth claim that Jesus is the only way. And here's where I, I think we've got to be okay. We've shrunk back and become passive in it. And I go, I do not think that that is the right pathway. I think we can challenge with gentleness and respect. And that's the key. For example, they say that you're narrow-minded because you say that Jesus is the only way. What about making this statement? Ask them, can I make a statement? And then with gentleness you say this. Is it possible that you fear the truth? Actually appeal to their emotions. Do you fear ideas? You understand what I've been trying to do over these weeks is to help us to figure out what it means where we ask questions to go after them with gentleness and grace. See, we're trying to open the door and make a statement where we can, it leads to a discussion for us. And you go, okay, some of us will go, well, why bother? Am I ever going to convince anyway? But here's what we've got to remember. We do not know what Jesus has already been doing in their lives, their hearts, and their minds already. That God might have prepared a conversation that you can have with them to add more seeds to this idea that Jesus is such an important man. See, God is walking ahead of us in these conversations. We must trust God in that. But it's moving it from the back burner to the front burner. See, we can say it and not acknowledge that we believe that Jesus is the only path. But here's another example. What if you said something like this? Do you know that Judaism says that Jesus is not the way? We claim he is the way. Do you realize one of us is wrong? See, it's okay to make that kind of statement. The Quran tells us that salvation through Allah is doing these certain things. We claim Jesus is, is the, the pathway. One of us is wrong, right? Do you understand why of those statements what we can do? Hindu says that they all become gods. That's their truth claim. We say no, only through Jesus... Hindus might be right, but we might be wrong. Are we okay to say that, to help them feel the dissidence of belief systems that are out there? And I go, be okay with that. See, only one of us can be right. But what we're looking to do is looking to move people into the rational world, a more logical world. If you've ever taken a philosophy class, you, you probably, at least I remember this back in my philosophy class, and that was a lot of years ago, understand. Maybe they don't teach it anymore. They don't want to. But in the philosophy class, there is a rule called the law of non-contradiction. And I want to put that up on the screen for you. And this is functionally what it is. It states that something cannot be true and not true at the same time when dealing with the same context. For example, the chair in my living room right now cannot be made of wood 
and not be made of wood at the same time. In the law of non-contradiction, where we have a set of statements about a subject, we cannot have any of the statements in that set negate the truth of any other statement at the same set. So the contradiction, Hindu is the way to God, or Jesus is the way. One of them is wrong because of the law of non-contradiction. They cannot be both true. There is no logic, no reasoning in that. And realize that as you push that, it forces them to come to the burner, bring the thinking, the logic to the front burner. See, one of the things that we must settle in our own minds and in the lives of our kids is that truth is transcendent. It does not come from man. It comes from God. God is the one that decides what is good, what is evil, what is the path. But if everything goes, there is no logic, there's no con- then, then anything, nothing is actually true and real. So our children must believe in the certainty that God is the one that defines what is right and wrong, what is true. See, God actually cannot contradict himself. And if he does, we shouldn't be following him. See, that is true as well. But if one teaches that the Bible has many paths to God, and I've seen that in churches who claim to follow the Bible, that there's many paths to God, and that we say that the Bible says there's only one path, somebody is wrong. Both cannot be right. Otherwise, the concept of truth loses all meaning. And the tragedy, many people are ruling out reason. And why? Because it's based on the idea of, I just can't offend anybody. And it's the idea that the emotions are actually ruling their world. But with gentleness and grace, we invite people into a discussion about truth And even, you can even use that term, the law of non-contradiction. Introduce them to it. Put it in your own language. But another question, one you could ask. Do you believe in truth? If they say no, what should the response be? Is that true? Think about that a second. Okay, catch it. Do you believe in truth? Well, do you believe that's true? Because if they say no, then what they just said is gibberish. It means nothing. And you actually could push back and tell them that. Do you understand what? God is a reasonable God. He's a God who lives by principles in the sense where what is true, what's not true. They can't be right at the same time. Now, here's one of the main points, though, is to move forward here. For your, on your outline there, one of the things that one of the authors that have been reading suggested this, and I think he's right on the money. He said this, we need to rescue the understanding of tolerance. Tolerance. See, the challenge is that the definition has been changed. 
Tolerance is not accepting that every view is true, a traditional definition. It doesn't mean that everything is the same. And again, parents, I say this word, you need to work at it with your kids We need to rescue that definition, especially if you have high school or college, junior high. Because young people have bought into the idea that there's no such thing as absolute truth, and it's offensive to claim it. To claim it. See, you can go back to that definition, or that question, do you believe in truth? And many will say no. But if they say yes, recognize the door is just open for you to begin to start a conversation of what is true. And a possible question when it comes to tolerance, listen to this. Why is that you say, I'm not tolerant, when you are not tolerant of my beliefs? Is that not intolerance, that which you are accusing me of? See, are we prepared to do some pushing, again, with gentleness and respect? Are we willing to make a statement like that? Or you could even ask this, why do you get the right to define tolerance and dismiss what Webster says? Or another question, who gets the right to define what tolerance is? You could literally throw that question out. Who gets the right to decide? Let's vote on it what the right meaning should be. And functionally, folks, that's what's happening in the United States. usually ends up in the Supreme Court. What is true, we initially actually, the way we function as a culture, it's who, who, how, do we, how do we vote on the issue? But in the training for apologetics, one of the nuances here is at times to step outside of the Christian faith. Let me give you an example. You sidestep even the talk about Jesus. You could do something like this. Do you know that Hindus believe, they believe in an eternal soul? You're becoming another god. It's, it's a part of what happens. But the Buddhists do not believe in that eternal truth. They would say no. Now here's what you could use it. in in understanding the issue of tolerance. Would not tolerance be where a Buddhist treats a Hindu with respect and kindness even though they disagree with their truth claims and their view? You see what you would do. You take it away from Jesus, you put it in another category to challenge bringing it from the back burner to the front burner, what's reasonable. It's reclaiming the definition of tolerance. I need to come to an end here. We're out of time. One of the challenges I mentioned earlier is that some followers of Christ have come across as they defend their faith as prideful. And the fact that some Christians exhibit it You know what? It is wrong. And I'm going to deal with it directly here in a couple of weeks. Of of really, they look at us and go in there, you're hypocritical. You're hypocrites. But to embrace Christ as Lord and Savior, we are never to flaunt that and, and make it a cause for pride and smugness. 
See, believing the truth of the scriptures is not a sign of being superior. It should drive us to humility. See, the uniqueness of Christ, it's a sign that the the triune God of the universe cares deeply for us. And he mercifully provided a pathway that we could go down so that we have the ability to know him. See, it's a pathway to know the Father's love, and it's through the Father's love that he loves this creation. He loves the atheist. He loves the agnostic. He loves this world. But he's given a gift to the one to given us a gift through the one that was called his son. I'm going to invite the guys that are going to do communion here, hand out communion, to come on up. See, this table represents one way, the exclusive claim of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for us. Guys, you want to hand out the bread But the call, folks, in our lives is to look around and say, who might God be opening the door to and helping us give some light and trusting that the Holy Spirit may have walked ahead of us. See, we're not convincing them in our own power. That's a gift to the Holy Spirit. So here's what I encourage you to do. As you wait, as it's being handed out, Give thanks to God for Jesus. That's why we celebrate communion. But maybe one other piece here. Many of you wrote names on the wall of our auditorium. And we're hoping to get in there still before Christmas time. But would you just pause? And if you remember who you wrote, would you just pray for them and that God might just open a doorway for a conversation where you can help them see Jesus in just a little bit more. Let's just bow and pray and give thanks.